So, all right. So we're with Jeff Sobel today. Jeff is a strength and conditioning coach at Akron University. He's a former Division One athlete, played professional sports for a little while, functioned as a trainer, and then moved into the coaching space space from a, a collegiate strength and conditioning standpoint. So, Jeff, your background, like walk us through that that timeline. So for people that are out there listening that think they want to get into training, think they want to get into coaching, like strength and conditioning coach at, at the collegiate level, what was your background? Uh, so my path is pretty unconventional when it comes to, now, and you know, everybody's path nowadays. Uh, but my, my background has always been in athletics all through high school. And, you know, my dad was a coach. Uh, my both my parents were athletes in college it was just kind of you know when it came to sports when I was little the answer was always yes can we do this yes can we do this yes can we do this yes and we kind of got to pick and choose what we ended up liking and having passion for and continuing to do that um so all through high school uh I was a three-time all-state football player so I got a a full ride to the University of Illinois out of high school for football Uh, for football yeah um and so I went there, I was there for two years, ended up transferring to Eastern Illinois, uh, played my last three years of, or last three years of eligibility there, had a great career. Um, well, let's, let's talk about the U of I, why leave U of I? Because I think uh, that's an interesting story in and of itself. I, I agree, especially with the landscape nowadays with the transfer portal and, and all, and how transferring is nowadays, uh, it's just one of those things. I got recruited by a coach that ended up getting fired um, after the first year. So it's just kind of politics. And this, the the next coach that comes in usually wants to bring their own recruits in. And uh, you kind of get buried on depth charts and things like that. And um, it was just the best decision for me to leave and go somewhere else to, uh, to have, have a better opportunity to play. Uh so, so the driver behind that decision at the end of the day was you wanted to play football. Yeah. Like plain and, I, and simple. At that point I was, I was, you know, I was ready. Oh yeah. I wanted to be on the field. I felt like I was, I was just working and working and working and not getting, not getting to play the sport that I love. And, you know, you know, like that coming out of my mouth, you know, especially nowadays, like I don't like the way that sounds because it sounds really selfish and it sounds like I'm not willing to put the work in that I needed to, to get on the field. And, and I didn't feel that way at the time. I just felt like I, I wanted a better opportunity to play. And I think it was a smart move for me to transfer down to the, to the, the level below. Um, and it gave me a great opportunity to play. And then I, you know, it ended up being the, the best decision I ever made as an athlete, because, you know, I, I started for three years and had a great career and played in a bunch of games and was all conference and just, I mean, I had a great career and it was a, it was a really good decision, but at the time it was a really hard decision to make because, you know, I'm from a really small town in Missouri and uh, nobody gets big 10 scholarships from where I'm, you know, from the high school that I'm from, you know, and my, my brother and I are two of the only uh, full ride scholarship football players to ever come out of the school, you know? So, I mean, it's not like it happens very often. So I kind of felt like I was, you know, there people were looking up that, you know, looking up to me and there was some things that I was thinking about that I shouldn't have been thinking about, you know, just 
instead of thinking about myself and what's best for me. And, and I was really kind of, you know, I was really, I, I talked to my players about this now because I think it's important for them to know that, you know, us going through stuff, you know, helps it humanizes us a little bit and it really helps them when they're going through some of the same things. But I, uh, you know, I was not in a good place. You know, academics started struggling academically because I did, you know, I was so worried about my football future and just went through a tough time and, and ended up making a good decision and bounced out, you know, bounced out of it. And I'm really glad that I did it, but it just went through a, a tough time. Like a lot of these kids go through. And I think that's something that for, for parents, and we went, we went through this, we had a, a grandfather that brought his daughter in to train with us and she was good enough to play division one college softball. And they elected to go to a community college and play. And grandpa told me, he's like, it's easy. She's going to play as a freshman and start. And they've given her some money to go there and they got her a job at the community college. So basically she's going to go for free for two years and get to play. Whereas if she goes to a large D1 program, it'll be two years before she plays and she may never start. Yeah. And, you know, and, yeah, I knew my role, you know, I knew being a small town kid, like that I wasn't high on the list of, you know, I knew that I red shirting, I knew red shirting was going to be my future. I knew that I was going to have to grow into a role. I knew that I was going to have to do all these things and I was ready to do that. It's just when you don't, you know, when, the, when all your coaches that recruited you leave, you're kind of on an Island and kind of have to prove yourself all over again. And, and I, I, I just don't think I was equipped mentally. You know, I, I think about that time a lot because, you know, the person that I am now, I would have, I feel like I would have thrived in that environment and I would have, I would have been like, okay, I'll show you then. But at that time I, I wasn't equipped as well as I, you know, wish that I would have been. Um, but, but I learned great lessons and I, and I pushed through it and I overcame, overcame all that. And I think it made me better. So, so you end up at Eastern Illinois university, you play yeah, and, and you, you earn some accolades, yeah. so you get the, you get the playing time and, and you actually get some rewards for producing on the football field. And then what? So then, then I, you know, it kind of comes to the point where didn't know what I wanted to do with my life because it's always been football, right? And it's always been, uh, that's what I dedicated my life to. And, and I, I don't shy away from the fact that school was not something that I, that I enjoyed or liked at all. Um, I did what I needed to do to stay eligible to play football. That's, that was my mentality at that point. And, and I don't think it's any, there's, there's no point to lie about that. Um, but so afterwards, you know, I had good enough grades where, uh, well, this is before then. Um, I got contacted by some arena football teams, um, kind of started training. Uh, I, I did, I trained on my own on campus for my, our pro day at Eastern Illinois. Um, kind of one of those things now that I wish that I would have went away somewhere and trained or uh, kind of devoted a little bit more time for that. Kind of tried to do that on my own. Uh, ended up having an okay pro day, but didn't create any buzz for myself whatsoever. Um, kind of just didn't know what was next. I actually went home to coach freshman football with my dad um, and just kind of to start thinking about what was next. And I kind of got a, I got a stock job at Costco 
just kind of very typical, like, what am I doing? I just graduated. What's next? Um, got contacted by some arena teams. Um, ended up going, ended up going to Bloomington in that spring, Bloomington, Illinois. Uh, tried out for their, their team, made it, played all season, and then kind of devoted, you know, the near future to that. Ended up doing that for three and a half years, and that's kind of where you and I met up and uh, kind of right after that first, right after that first year, because uh, my brother was going to NIU and and I kind of sent you just a pretty random, random email or can't remember what it was at this point. No, it started with Tim. Tim calls me and says there's some guy at the counter that played college football and wants to go to the NFL and you need to talk to him or whatever. And I think that led to an email, but in my mind, I'm thinking I'm going to get some fat out of shape 10 years ago has been that's going to do nothing but waste my time and i'll be lucky if he also doesn't smoke three packs of cigarettes a day when he comes in because i'd already had that with a few with a few different people sure Um, but in your case you showed up and you were the real deal well because ar at that point was pretty pretty new pretty technical like pretty you know some some good technology pretty you know everybody was pretty excited about the acceleration training was pretty popular in the chicagoland area too and there's a lot of buzz around all of it too and um and so that's where we linked up and and i devoted just that you know those those couple years of my life to trying to be the best player i can be to create more opportunities for myself to you know get contacted by bigger leagues and um you know you and ended you know from that initial conversation, you know, you and I trained a lot together and then ended up working at the gym for a little bit and uh, it kind of stoked my fire a little bit for developing and coaching and, and things like that, that I've always enjoyed. I've always loved the weight room. I've always understood what it did for me as an athlete. So being able to help people reach goals that they can't get to on their own is a pretty special thing. And, and I, and I started with kids, you know, I had little kids in athletic Republic and, um didn't have like you know a huge group of of people that I was training but like really kind of started developing a passion for it and uh, kind of spent my off seasons really up there um and that that foundation then ends up looking looking like from from what everything you just mentioned uh long-term athlete multi-sport athlete in high school uh, good enough to play college football with a uh, division one offer in the big 10 from the university of Illinois. You recognize the, that you wanted to play more than anything and didn't want to have to keep re-earning your spot in the depth chart and hopefully a high enough place to actually play. So you went to Eastern, you graduated, you played pro football, which arenas you're getting paid to play. And then yeah. you started working as a trainer. So in, that, that recap for people that want to get into coaching and training, you have to have a foundation. Wouldn't you agree, Jeff? Like there, you need to have, like, you, you need to have an idea of what's going on and some experience with it. Yeah. And I, and I'll be the first to say that I didn't know what the hell I was doing. You know, I, I didn't uh, that early too, you know, AR made it easy because of the the templates and you follow directions and I'm a good direction follower, you know? Um, but I think, yeah, like, I think that it's important to understand and know the demands of the sport and know what it really takes and know 
kind of work ethic things and some things that you can really help them with regardless of your background. But there's base knowledge that you have to have, especially as you progress. So, you know, from that point, once I got after three and a half years of arena football and too many concussions and things like that, where I was just like, you know, it wasn't advancing to where I wanted to advance to. Um, so I kind of like, okay, I need to, and now I was in the same situation I was in right at the end of college, like, okay, football, football's done, you know, coming to grips with that and understanding that, you know, that it's done and I need to, I need to continue to figure out what's next in my life. And this timeline's kind of messed up because it was only about two years. I got an opportunity uh, to, uh, my dad is, is, I love telling this story because Eastern Illinois posted a graduate assistantship in the strength and conditioning department on football scoop. And my dad, my dad doesn't miss a thing on football scoop. Like he's just, it's like one of his daily, one of his daily check things. And he calls me and he's like, hey, do you know Eastern has a – and at the time, that's still the football staff that I played for. So they're still there. And uh, and he goes, hey, do you know you know Eastern Illinois has a strength job open? And this is after my second year of arena ball. And, uh, and I said, no, I didn't know that. So I called my defensive coordinator, Rock Bellantoni, who's actually uh, – who's, act, who's actually the uh, – defensive coordinator at FAU now. And uh, I called him and I said, hey, do you know anything about this strength job? And he goes, he goes, yeah, do you want it? And I, and I kind of laughed, I remember. And I was like, well, I think, I think I do. You know, I think I do. And, you know, I've never thought about being, going back to school and getting my master's degree ever. Cause like I said earlier, like school is not something that I've ever enjoyed or thought that as an undergrad that I would ever go back and and go to grad school. Like that's crazy. Um, ended up do ended up going there, meeting with the strength coach, getting getting the position, and then ended up continuing to play arena ball in Bloomington, commuting back and forth for that next year as a grad as a grad assistant, coaching, having teams, driving to Bloomington three nights a week to practice. And then playing on the weekends. So pretty crazy at that point. Still wasn't all the way decided what I wanted to do. Didn't really have that moment until Coach Edinger, who's my mentor, who got uh, who got the job after I was there for a season at, at Eastern after that staff got let go. Um, came in with the new coach, Coach Bavers, who's the head coach at Syracuse now. Uh, and Coach Eddinger's the head strength coach at Syracuse now, but then, you know, kind of got hooked up with him a little bit. And he kind of started pushing my buttons a little bit and making me decide what I want to do and, you know, stop all this coasting stuff and just kind of like going along for the ride. Like you need to decide what you want to do. And, um, and I'm thankful for that. And I, and I did. And once I decided it was, I mean, it was it. And 10 years later, I'm here. So in the the grad so the GA is a graduate assistantship and normally that means and and for people tuning in if you have a an interest in sport and, and we'll talk a little bit about the strength and conditioning coach requirements but if you're going to get a master's degree related to like exercise or sport management don't pay for the masters go find some place that will give you a graduate assistantship. You might have to do some work like Jeff did in the strength department for athletics. 
but you'll you didn't pay for the masters right i didn't pay for the masters the 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 thing nowadays nowadays the exercise science strength conditioning emphasis in undergrad is so much more prevalent and and it's everywhere now where you're you're basically getting an undergrad in exercise science and then you can go do your master's in whatever um but you have to you know you have to go do a a ga it's kind of like you you intern for free as long as you can um or as long as you need to to get a grad assistantship but now they even want nowadays because everybody is so qualified and everybody there's so many of these these courses and uh, programs that graduate assistants you're not going to get a graduate assistant job without being certified through the through the either the nsca or the the cscca which are the two big certs that college strength edition coaches need to have um so that's pretty crazy because when i was a ga i didn't have anything and it was always like okay, you'll work to get your certification by the end of your graduate assistantship. And, so that, but, so, so that requirement then is you're, you're going to have a bachelor's degree and then you need to have one of the certs that is recognized in collegiate athletics before they're even going to consider you for that GA spot. There, there's still some places that are, are more lenient with it where as long as you're progressing towards your master's, you might get a GA spot still, or as long as you're progressing towards your certification, they might give you a spot. They might give you a spot, but like, you know, if you want to solidify it, like, you know, being, it's crazy. It's just, it takes a lot. It's a lot of effort. It's a lot of time. And it's like, you know, it's one, it's still a profession that's stuck in the stone ages with, with pay. Like you're not going to make any money in this until down the road, you know, after you've already, you know, you, you might, you make, make $40,000 and coach, you know, 10 teams, you know, and have these crazy packed days from five in the morning to seven at night and barely scrape, barely scrape by, but that's just what this profession is. And until that changes, it's people way around it. There's, there's a ton of overqualified, like, cause there's just a ton of overqualified people banging at the door to work for $40,000. And until that, until people put their foot down and say like, like, listen, like I'm not doing that. <laughs> it's, you know, it's not going to change, but that's just, that's just the kind of uh, just this profession is, is, is crazy. You know, it's, it's an awesome job, but it's a lot going on. So, so your athletic career as, as an athlete, you playing football kind of, I think set the foundation. I did work with you from a training standpoint. You, you've got a, an exceptional work ethic in that, you know, that, that can't be bought. Somebody either shows up and does the work, no matter what the work is to the best of their ability or they don't. So that's, that's kind of a must have. And then the getting into a master's program and, and ideally you don't pay for it. So that means you got to get a GA and that means you're going to have to be certified. And, and given the number of programs and the number of undergrads coming out of those programs, it's competitive to get those GA spots now. So you better well, be, you better be doing the work to set yourself apart. You got to stack, and then you got to stack all that with all these volunteer internships. Like, I mean, we got, you get freshmen now that are banging at your door to come be on the floor 
you know, freshmen that just graduated high school that are trying to get a leg up on um, getting on the floor and getting real, real reps and real um, exposure to all, to all what the profession is. And so that they can uh, a real experience, you know, to get to see what the profession is and get stack all this time so they can put those on their resume and they, they might go to two or three different schools on the summer and get all these volunteer internships. And, you know, you're not getting paid a dime for this, but it's to set you up to help you try to get a graduate assistant job, you know? And that's, we had a client a year ago that, well, two, I guess a little over two years ago, she had commented that she was already doing training and coaching. She said she wanted to be a collegiate strength coach and I said, like, you know, you, you have an opportunity and you also will kind of wrongfully so have a little bit of a stigma because you're female. Like you're people can say what they want, but people, some folks are going to look at you and say, well, she's a girl. I said, so, you know, one, you need to you need to be able to stand out and she could put up decent numbers for her body weight on the the big lifts and the Olympic lifts. And then I said, you, you need to go get your USAW. You need to get CSCS. And she did. And she's, she came back to me and she's like, all right, I got all this stuff. Now what? I'm like, well, now you need to start shaking the trees and you need to make your way into somebody's program. And uh, last year in like April, May timeframe, she went to the university here and I won't say the name. People can figure it out if they know where I'm, where I'm at, but she just kept showing up and I'm like, you need to email and call every person in the athletic coaching department and get in front of them, make sure they know who you are. And she kept doing stuff like that. And then just started showing up, like you said, volunteering and guess what happened? She got a graduate assistantship. Yeah. So you people that are out there, like, if you want to do this, you can't just say you want to do this. You better be willing to do the work or you're going to have somebody that, that is going to do the work that is going to go to those three schools over the summer and give freely of their time. And they're going to take your GA. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, you can say what you want about it. Like, you know, if you're not willing to, if you're not willing to work for free early on in this job, in this profession, then you're not going to make it just, it's it, way too, way too competitive, you know, it, now. It, and it's harsh. But it, it's the reality. I mean, you're looking at, you know, your your head football coach probably would like to win. And that means that the head football coach better have a team. And, and by team, I don't mean the football players. There better be a staff in place that can produce winners. Because if there's someone that the weak link, if they're not contributing to producing a winning football program, they're going to cost the program wins. There's no room for that. And if you're the person that's like, well, I don't want to give up my summer or I'm not working for free. Well, guess what? There probably isn't room for you on the bus. Yeah. You got to learn that. You got to learn that early. You know, it's, it, you know, and whether I'm right or wrong for this, right? Like, you know, I've missed, I've missed so many things <laughs> that I've sacked just because of my profession, you know, like really good friends, weddings and, you know, birthdays, relatives that do things in the fall that want you to come. And it's like, can't like, I dedicated myself to this. Like, I'm, this is, this is who, this is my job. Like, I can't just, 
come as much as I want to come to that wedding and be there for my best friend. Um, I know those are experiences I'll never get back, but it's just what I decided to be and who I decided to be. And it's, and until I'm out and until I'm out, that's who I like, that's the kind of dedication and the kind of things that I'm willing to sacrifice for my job. And, you know, I still get people come, Oh, coach, I, I scheduled this family vacation. Oh, I did this. I did this. Or I got this going on. And like, guys, like, you're not getting any sympathy from me. You're, if you miss mandatory team activity, that's on you. Like I, I've missed a lot of things in my life that I wish I could have gone to like family vacations, for instance, like a lot of stuff, but it's just, it's part of it. And if it's just like being successful in anything though, like you have to make up your mind and you have to be willing to put, you have to be willing to sacrifice. Like there's no, there's no growth that comes without sacrifice and sometimes pain, you know, it's, and if we if we compare no it's just that's just that's just real and if we compare and contrast like what what if you didn't have that outlook would you be a strength coach at the level you're a strength coach well the answer is probably no yeah and 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 is that and is and is is that okay i don't know you know like um but it's true not if it's, I mean, if, if that's the job that you want, you have to be willing to do the work that that job requires, or you need to redefine what it is you want to do yeah. because there's, there's no in there. People don't understand this, but it's true in every area. Like there's no, there's no room on the bus for someone that's not going to contribute what's needed to be contributed. Like we, someone's got to do that. And if that's your job as coach, you got to show up even when, maybe you want to be at that wedding or you want to be on vacation. So let's talk a little bit about where you are now as a strength coach. You, you when you look at how many, how many athletes are you typically providing training for? So right now, right now I'm a football only strength coach. So, which is, what's the which, roster, which is beautiful. Um, right now, Right now we're right at 85, but we got more coming in right now. But I mean, I, I'll just always say a hundred. So a hundred athletes and they could be anywhere from an incoming freshman that starts college. Like I did at age 17. And then you might have somebody that redshirted, maybe a COVID year, maybe a transfer. They could be 23, right? Yeah. Very easily. Yep. And now here you are, you're, you're coach Sobel and, and you have to find a way to extract every bit of effort out of them. How are you, like, how do you manage a hundred athletes of a very diverse age? I mean, a 17 year old male athlete is for the most part, now you're going to get some outliers, but it is going to be very different than a 21 or 22 year old male athlete. Yeah, man. Uh, man, it's a good question. I think, and then there's a million ways to do it. Right. I mean, if we're talking about just a programming standpoint from X's and O's, like, you know, I got, I have two staff members with me too. I have an assistant and I have a graduate assistant and all three of us are only football. Our only responsibility is football. So they don't have other sports. They don't have anything else that they're responsible for. So it's basically three of us, uh, you know, with, with some help for volunteer interns and, 
and uh, other things like that that we're responsible for yeah training you know 100 guys at a time now it's not all 100 in at once you know but what it is is 100 different personalities it's 100 different um, ways to reach them it's 100 different people to motivate um, and it and it does and it does seem daunting when you think about it like that but you know you you spend so much time with them and you're around them so much that you develop really good relationships with them and you know what makes them tick and you know who you can get on and know who you can't and you know what they respond to. Um, so it's, you know, I like to tell young coaches this, like, and I'm still a young coach I, I, I when I say that. Um, but, you know, coaching is an art and they call us strength coaches for a reason because it's not just straight from the NSCA book. Like, yeah, that's good knowledge and base knowledge that you have to have, but you can know all your stuff. You can be a really smart guy and really smart or a really smart person, really smart coach and go on the floor and stand in front of 40 football players right before a lift and explain to them what they're about to do. And a lot of times it's not going to be stuff that they're going to enjoy. So then you have to motivate them. Then you have to make it relevant why they're doing it explain to them you know it's, there's so much to it that's why i call it an art it's it's coaching is coaching is not just black and white you know it's not just oh go stand on the floor and and tell them exactly what they're doing and then go sit on your desk go sit in your desk like that's not what you do you know and um i mean there's a you know we we have we divide it up into groups like you know I think our big, we have about 40 in, in two groups right now because we're training offense, defense. We're training the side of the ball. Uh, summer's just a little bit different mentality for me because I want them to be around each other as much as possible because, you know, the real stuff is getting real close and the sense of urgency is really high. So I, I view summer as a big time to come together as a family, to come together as a group, to see each other struggle, to push through those, to develop leaders. Uh, and I want them around each other the, as much as possible and I know that big groups aren't ideal from a training standpoint but big groups have lots of juice and big groups have a lot of um, enthusiasm and I want them to be around each other on their good days and their bad days so they can help each other push through and come together um, but you know one thing I started you know one thing I started a little bit at Kent but right when I, when I got to Akron I sat down with every player and I asked them a series of questions and a series of questions are everything from like, tell me about where you're from, tell me about your family, you know, brothers and sisters, and give me your background on that. You know, um, why do you love football? You know, there's a lot of times that they never get asked that question. Um, what motivates you when things get hard? Um, you know, just some fun ones. What's your favorite athlete of all time? Uh, what do your tattoos mean? Uh, just some cool stuff that I'm trying to get to know them because relationships matter. And, I think that a lot of people think that we're just motivators and cheerleaders and yeah, to an extent, sometimes we are motivate, you know, looking for motivation, but motivation's fickle. Motivation comes and goes, you know, you know, teaching these kids how to be disciplined and making the right choices on a day, day in and day out is what really works. You know, motivation is cool and I want to be able to motivate them and, and I do, but that's the thing that comes and goes all the time. And discipline is something that if you teach them the right way, that will be like, 
be there forever past football when they're have to get up at six 30 in the morning, when their alarm clock goes off, when they have a job that they hate, you know, um, that's in, that, in, in the motivation thing, people ask all the time, well, how do you stay motivated? I mean, the answer is you don't, there's not one area of your life. You're going to stay motivated. It's just the way it is. Um, discipline, however, allows you to do the things that you must do when you do not want to. Yep. And looking at everything you said for people that want to be good at coaching, there's or want to be good at being a leader or, you know, working with groups of people. You, I, you put a, a group together cause you know, you got to build that family times of the essence, you know, your season at the time of recording this, your season is what a month and a half away. What do you yeah. got? Six weeks, five weeks, maybe to your first well, game. But no, we started, we start camp in August. So, you know, we're, we're a little over a month away from fall camp, which is. So now's the, now's the time to team build. And then yep. how much back to kind of, like I, I said, you building that enough. foundation. What's that? I got way off topic on those. No, no, you didn't though. But that the foundation of you having been an athlete, you having grown up in a household with parents that were college athletes. And I think you, you probably learned things from your parents that you didn't even realize because they both played sport. Like not everybody gets to play college sports. So just the fact that your mom and dad both played collegiate sports, that's a big deal. That's significant. But growing up in that starts that foundation, you playing high school football foundation, your experience at U of I foundation is what I call tuition, right? Yeah. Uh, you're making your bones. You go into Eastern, more tuition. You learn something there. And then you play arena ball. You, you come work with me and then you go back to school. That, that foundation, I think, is why, and you can tell me if I'm wrong, but that's why you can walk into the weight room with 40 college athletes that are 15 years your junior and be able to relate to them. And not only that, but you know what they need and you know how they, how to put it together. I.e., I need to sit down with each one of these football players and learn about them because yeah. that gives you tools to be better at your job. Yeah. And I, and, and I kind of say this a lot too, because it's important to me uh, still you know, and if this ever becomes uncool, you know, maybe it is time for me to get out, but I always want to be a coach that walks the walk. And I, I don't ever want to be, especially because of, you know, what we're asking them to do a lot of times is difficult and it's hard. That's in uh, my notes. So let's get into that. Okay. Walk, walk the talk, talk the walk, however you want to phrase it. How are you doing that as a coach? Cause you're not, you're not a spring chicken anymore. Like you're, you're not a college athlete. I don't know yeah. if you realize that or not, but you're not. So, but, but how are you, how are you, re, how do you remain relevant? So I, I, I want to think about it like this. I, if I'm not doing something uncomfortable on a daily basis and when I, and I don't mean, when I say uncomfortable, I don't necessarily mean um, to the point where I'm, you know, doing what I did in my powerlifting career, like, you know, loading 700 pounds on the bar and, and things like that. I want to challenge myself. And, and that could be something as small as coaching all morning, being exhausted by the time the players are out, sitting down for an hour, 
that feeling that, oh, you know, I don't need to do anything today. I, can, I should take it easy. I should drink some water, hydrate, and so I can go tomorrow. Be like, no, like, that's not what I, that's not what I decided, to, you know, that's not what who I am or what I'm all about. I want, you know, I typically do the program that my guys are doing because I want to know how they feel. And I want to know, I want to come in the next day and feel the same thing that they feel and be able to push through my hamstrings being sore or my low back being tight or, you know, the things that they feel I want to feel too. And, you know, like, and I know that I'm not always going to be able to do that. And I'm not, I'm not saying that I do it at the same intensity, but you know, it's pretty damn close right now. And, but that's because I take a lot of pride in it. And I don't ever want to be a coach that just barks at players and is not willing to put themselves in situations. And, and, and there's a lot of things that I modify and there's some things that I do, but you know what, like, if I can't do what they're doing, I'm going to find something that challenges me. I'm going to go out and push a sled. That's really hard. Or I'm going to go out and do something uncomfortable and run or walk the stadium or, I just feel like there's an element of that to, that makes you a genuine coach that I, and, and, you know, I know there's a lot of good coaches that, that don't lift a bunch that, you know, that aren't lifters or power lifters or anything like that. And I, and I, I get that and I understand that. I know you can be a good coach without that, but that's just not who I am, you know? And uh, I want to be genuine and I want to be the most consistent person in their life. And, if I'm in there barking at them and not willing to put myself in an uncomfortable situation and I'm really pushing them to finish this drill or do something harder, go a little harder every single time. And I'm not willing to do that myself. It makes me a hypocrite. And I hate, and I just, I don't like hypocrites. You know? Well, I, I think the, the label coach is really it's leader and people will follow a leader that are willing to do, what they're asking others to do. And I think that, you know, the, one of the things that has impressed me since you went into collegiate athletics as a coach is seeing your social media content and seeing that you are making yourself relevant. I, I, I see loaded bars and I see you under them and I see chains and everything else hanging off the bars. And that's, it's kind of hard as somebody that lifts, just someone that lifts weights to not respect the work going on. You don't need to do that. You don't, you don't have to ever get on. You don't, you never have to put a loaded barbell on your back again. You, you did your time, you know, yeah. you did what you had to do to play at the levels you played at and you now have the coaching job yet. Here you are bringing the pain, you know, yeah. load the bar. It, and it's, and it's why I got into powerlifting for the short time that I did too. You know, I ended up, getting an 1860, 1862 total in my like third powerlifting meet. Um, that's, I built up to that. It's just, it, there's something about powerlifting that I've always loved that getting under a bar that scares me or putting something in my hand that scares me. And I think that, I think that that's what I just missed from football being over, not being scared, but that nervous energy that's just, you can't, you can't mimic anywhere. You know, it's like a, it's a great nervous energy, like standing on the sidelines, looking over at the other team before you take the field for the first drive is like what I just couldn't find anywhere else. And powerlifting was the closest thing to that, you know? And then 
you know, boy, I, you know, I got up to 285 pounds, right. You know, and I'm not, you know, and, and it's, it was fun and it was cool, but I just, I want to be able to walk up steps and tie my shoes and, and do things, you know, with my kids and not feel like I'm going to die, you know? <laughs> but I think though, you know, I look at that stuff in for me personally, and I never got asked this and I was speaking to a college class a year or so back as a guest speaker and, and the professor asked me in, and for me, when I did what I did in the gym, it was in large part because you couldn't buy it. Like why was leg day Friday? Because I had a sales meeting Friday. And if, if I got under a loaded bar with 500 pounds and made it go up and down for a couple of sets of singles and triples, I was going to crush it the rest of the day and, and nobody could buy that. Well, why do you have to do that? It's like, man, you don't understand. Like, you yeah. can't buy this. Like the only way to get this is to earn it and to look at it and say, I'm a little like your, your nervous energy. I'm a little worried about this, but I'm going to, I will be the victor. And yeah, I, there's value in that. And it's, it goes back to that tuition and building that foundation. Your athletes know that and they respect it. Yeah. You know, like, and, and that all, all that stuff is cool. And I, and I, cause I never, I never walk on the floor with my athletes and demand respect because respect is such a sacred thing and, you know, respect and love and all these big powerful words that we like to use as coaches, you know, they, they carry a lot of weight, right. You know, they're, they're, they mean a lot and, you know, respect, trust, love, all these things that we talk about but I'm never going to walk out on the floor. Like when I first got to Akron, like I'm not going to walk out and demand respect. I was like, I, I promise you I'm going to earn your respect because the best respect is earned. The real respect is earned. Um, I'm going to love you already because I decided to, and it's not a feelings love. It's an agape love. It's a, it's a love that I have. I have high standards and expectations for you love. And I'm not going to let you drift below what you know because nobody's ever said this to you like when I say I love you I mean it because I'm going to give you every single thing I have and I'm going to hold you to an extremely high standard and you know trust is trust is earned and the first time they walk between the white lines and dominate their opponents I hope they do think about the work that they put in and and start really trusting what the plan that we're putting together and but that all takes time and you know, all, all that real stuff takes time and um and and I wouldn't want it any other way. And I, I wouldn't want them to just blatantly respect me and trust me. Like I want them to be, I, I want them to, you know, ask questions. I want them to, why are we doing this? Like I, I welcome those questions and I want that stuff to happen because if I can't answer those questions, I shouldn't be programming what I'm programming in that a lot of times in all areas of life, people that, you know, your answer there, most people that are in a position like you are, they, they just want to say things like, well, that's what we're doing. That not actually have a, a data backed reason for it and be able to explain it or maybe be open to a conversation where maybe the athlete points something out and you're like, you know what? I never considered that. We need to modify this. There's a better way. Or I know there's a three or four different ways to do this. This is why we're doing it this way, because I've seen this and I think that this works the best. I know that there's other ways to do it, but this phase, this time of year, 
I, I think that this is the best and you're going to have to, you know, have a little faith that I, you, you know, know what I have, you're talking about, I have best interest at heart, you know, faith is belief without evidence, you know? And, and so when I first walk into a room, you know, they know the history of Kent, they know all that stuff already. Right. They know that, um, that, you know, the product that we built was, was different there. And, and we went through a lot of changes to make it that way. But so I had a little bit of, a little bit of street cred with them because of that, but not from a relationship standpoint, they didn't know me, you know, not from any of that. Like I have to, I have to make time for that and I have to earn love, trust, respect. And I wouldn't want, I don't want to be given any of that. And, and if you were, it would be short term. It, it's yeah. not going to last a season. It's not going to last the athlete's career in the tenure. You're the strength coach. Or it's not, re it's not real. You know, you can right. say, kind of like what we're dealing with now like you know we have a lot of people everybody any any place in the country has a lot of people that say they want to be good and all these different things I want this I want this I want this I want to be all conference I want to win a lot of games cool I do too I want to see you do that and I want a million dollars you know but like the wanting it doesn't mean like you have to be willing to what are you gonna do for it work. yeah yeah cameo hi Sloan and even that, I used to tell staff, I don't think you ever heard this because I didn't have to have this conversation with you, um, but there were people where I'd have, have to bring them in the office and have a conversation and be like, listen, if you keep sitting in, fire, in front of the fireplace and saying, give me heat, and you're not willing to build the fire, at some point, you're not going to be able to work here. Like, it, yeah. it, it, don't, don't walk in and say, give me heat. You need to walk in and say, it's cold, we need heat. How can I help build the fire? And if you don't want to be part of that process, I not will not allow you to be here. Yeah, I agree. So uncomfortable. And that, that well, I want to mention one thing. From your standpoint, doing their workouts, I think it gives you an unparalleled way to relate to what they're doing. And then I think it gives you an ability to maybe refine the program. Because when you're laying out programming, if you're laying out a few weeks of programming, it's it's theoretical until it's set into action. You might think week one, we do this or day this day, we're going to do this. And then this day, we're doing this over here. But you doing the workout, you might realize that you're going to adjust some of the things in the future. Yep. Do you see yeah. that at all? Well, I, I do. And I think I, more early when more early in my career. Um, when I'm experimenting and kind of developing as a coach and figuring out what works and what doesn't work. Um, I think a lot of that was the case where, you know, we've all done five, three, one, a million times. We've all done the cube method. We, you know, finding all these different ways to challenge yourself and figure stuff out um, and develop your, you know, reading the tier system and figuring out how you want to program and developing your identity as a coach. I think training is the best for all that to figure out what stuff feels like to understand what the demands of it is and you know are am i hinging too much in one day am i doing too much of this in one day uh do i need to put an accessory on a different day i think that's really important but at this point now i've refined that enough where like you know i'm not going to gauge how i feel on what my athletes because they are they are should be able to do it at a lot <laughs> a lot better than me you know but 
on that same token though, for people that are, are considering getting into this or, or really anything, you spent the time laying that foundation. You already went through those things yeah. that gave you a perspective to know, okay, I, I'm not their age and I'm no longer playing And in there. There's validity to that. Like you're 15 years older than probably your oldest athletes on average. Yeah. Um, but you actually have done, you, you went through it enough to know, okay, this accessory lift needs to be here. Or you know what? This volume is, is inadequate. We need more volume here and we need more, maybe we need more intensity here and it's, it's delinquent. So I'll make the change, but the only way to know that is, is to have done some of it. Yeah, no, I agree. And like when I'm, when we're talking to interns and GAs and things like that, when, you know, a lot of them already like to train anyway, cause they wouldn't even be, they wouldn't even be sitting in the seats you that hope they not. and enjoy it. Right. You know, or they're not, they're there for a reason because they like, they love the weight room or, you know, they've developed a relationship with it at some point in time. Um, but that's, you know, that's an important factor of it. You know, our GA right now is a competitive power lifter, like a USAPL competitive power lifter that's in meat prep all the time. I mean, he's, he's got a meet over the 4th of July break. So, I mean, he's currently, he's coaching all day, finding ways to make sure his nutrition is right. And he's going to fly down to Atlanta over the 4th of July and compete. So, I mean, around our, you know, our guys are around people that, love this stuff you know it's love what the room does love the process love the you know not focusing on results focusing on the day-to-day -day work because the results will come if you work the right way in and you mentioned the uncomfortable thing and i think that's something today i mean yeah it's like i don't know 85 degrees out humid sun's out it's hot i'm in an air-conditioned office you know we're we're never, we're conditioned to never be uncomfortable today. We yeah. grow up where, you know, everybody around us does everything they can to make sure we're comfortable and in that our struggles are minimized. Everything from, you know, clothing, food, temperature, getting to work. And I think the reality of it is in your case, you're asking a hundred young adults to be uncomfortable on a daily basis you better be able to get uncomfortable yourself and, and you better be able to relate and understand what that means i think there's a lot of coaches that like to you know when you start talking about toughness and you start to talk about all these things we got to be mentally physically tough and all these coaches that preach a lot of tough hard things that aren't again that aren't willing to put themselves in uncomfortable tough environments you know and and I just, that's just never going to be me. Like, if that's me, I'm out. Like, if I find myself demanding toughness and de demanding all these things and I'm not willing to put myself there anymore, um, I think that's it. Maybe that's my, maybe that's my moment, right? You know, maybe that's, you know, maybe that's the time, you know, I wake up and I'm like, you know what, like, I'm not willing to do this anymore. Cause I feel like that's a big factor in it. You know, there's going to be a lot of coach there. There's probably a lot of coaches and all the Twitter and all the Twitter warriors and all these coaches that'll probably say that I'm wrong for that. And I really don't care because I think that that, you know, I think that that's an important element of it. I a hundred percent think that that's an important element. I, I think the majority 
of at least our country, other countries have different sets of issues, but here most people aren't doing what they want to do. They're not doing what they meant to, they're meant to do. They're not passionate about what they do. And if, if those things, if you're not doing what you're meant to do, you're not doing what you want to do and you're not passionate about it, you're not going to do the extra work. You're not going to be comfortable getting uncomfortable and you're going to do a mediocre job. You'll never be good at it. In your case, you're not going to be good at it at all. No, if, if you were wrong with what you just said, you wouldn't have produced the record that you did at the university that you were last at, because you certainly played a role. It's not just the coaches on the football field that are coaching the X and O's and their positions and everything else. It's that, you know, what, what went on in the off season, what went on in the spring, what went on in the summer, who's with those athletes the most, it's you. So if you were wrong, it wouldn't produce the W's. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, I, you know, my advice to you, you already got it. You'll get it again here is, you know, when you get to that point, if you if you get to that point, you might not, man. Twenty years from now, you might be enjoying what you're doing, yep. and doing it the same way on your terms. The day you realize that your terms have changed, you need to acknowledge that, accept that you're an individual, not defined as a coach. You're Jeff Sobel. That's also Coach Sobel. Not you don't exist in, in, as Jeff Sobel, but you need to acknowledge that you're you're no longer interested and go do something else. Yeah, I agree. And I just and like right now, like I'm just so, so deeply invested and love what I do so much that that seems like it's going to be so far away. But so but yeah, I mean, it's just a point where I'm just not even close to being at yet. You know, hopefully that's in the, the long distance future. But the fact that you're even aware of that and, and you you are starting to have an awareness and understanding of why you're good at what you do is priceless because most people never they never put those pieces together if they're if they're you know they they put the bar on the floor and they try not to trip over it and they don't they don't even know why they didn't trip what are the top three things you feel you should do as a coach and what are the top three things you feel you shouldn't do as a coach like what are the the must do's and what are the three biggest mistakes think that developing relationships with your players or your athletes is is could be one of the most important things that you can possibly do that makes programming that makes all these things better when you have better relationships with them Uh, so I think relationships number one I think you know walking the walk number two for me for sure and then being genuine and being real because there's a lot of smoke and mirrors in college athletics. Now there's a lot of, there's a lot with recruiting and the transfer portal and all these different things where there's a lot of people that act a certain way just for, just for a certain reason, whether that's to get a recruit or, you know, what to impress people or any of that, but you know, people see right through that and they know when somebody's being genuine and somebody's not. And that's one of the biggest things that I pride myself on being as a coach. I want to be genuine and I want to be real. And if I'm upset with my players, they're going to know exactly why I'm upset with them, but I'm not, I don't want them to walk into the room every day and wonder what version of coach Sobel they're going to get. You know, I want, I want them to, I want them to be one of the most consistent, genuine people in their life. What about the don't do's? The don't do's. I mean, man, 
I feel kind of, I feel kind of weird telling people what they shouldn't do, you know, but I think that, I mean, we can just kind of go like, don't, don't assume too much uh, because like, that's a communication, that's a relationship thing, right? That's a communication thing in any good relationship with community, you know, communication is important. I think a lot of, a lot of times we assume uh, too much. And what I mean by that is there's some of these kids backgrounds and what they, how they've been raised and what they've been exposed to, you know, might be a lot more adverse than you at your, at the, at the, your point in your life. You know, if you're a first year coach, you know, don't just assume that you've been through so much more than this kid. Like you have no idea where he came, where he came from. You have no idea what he's been through. Um, and there's a lot of things that I think coaches use a lot of tough language and a lot of hard, a lot of, a lot of hard words and a lot of things like that, thinking that these, you know, that the kid's just being soft or the kid's just being, or he's just weak, but you know, you got to be willing to put in the time with them and to help them out through those moments. Cause that's your job. Um, but I think there's a lot of times where coaches write people off too fast and assume too much about them thinking that they know what, you know, already about, you know, what these kids are going through and all these things. I think that that kind of covers my first one when I was talking about relationships, but I think that also with programming don't go too fast and don't try to do the the popular thing all the time you know do what you're comfortable with and that you're proficient at so you can coach really really well and not water what you're you know not water down your program um because i think that a lot of, you know we're all victim you know we all spend a lot of time on social media and we see the next best thing and oh this is really cool i like that drill okay but do you know why that drill is getting run what progression is it how far is it into the program uh, are your athletes ready for it like you know stop trying to come up with all these fancy things that you don't know how to coach coach what you know how to coach progress from there no neglect neglect your own health and wellness you know i think that taking care of yourself is really important because we again practice what you preach when your hydration and your food and your and your sleep and all these things that add up and you know because like it or not you chose a job where you can't just drive to work sit in your cubicle work on your report for three hours as you wake up from what you did the night before like you get to work and you have to be the source of energy. You have to be juiced up. You have to be ready. You have to be full of energy because they're the ones moping in and you got to pick them up on some of those mornings. So if you're not taking care of your body, you can't be that person for them. What's your work day like? Like pick, so off season, how many hours do you work a day? And then kind of well, in season, how many hours? So right now, summertime, uh, we're pretty much full blast from six in the morning to about noon. Um, and I know it doesn't sound like a lot, but we have a team running them. You know, I always, my bare minimum rule is that I'm, I'm walking into the facility an hour before the first. <laughs> and that's most of the time is more than that. Um, Cause I, again, making sure everything's set up, making sure all the details are right, making sure our papers are printed, make sure everything we need so that when they walk in, everything's ready to roll. Um, 
so we'll have like we'll have a team run in the morning we'll have two lift groups afterwards and then we'll have a freshman group in the afternoon so and then i usually have a meeting i usually find time to train which is usually about an hour and a half and then i have a meeting with my head coach in the later afternoon and when you just kind of say it like that there's some things it doesn't initially sound that bad but if you think about an hour run with the team where you're super super active on your feet doing drills all the stuff that and they transition right into the weight room hour and a half each group on the floor it's a lot from an energy standpoint and then you're smoked by the you're smoked by the early evening so that's kind of like what summer what all summer looks like in season uh, i haven't really gone through a season with this with this coach yet uh but i, I think we're going to train in the morning They'll go to class all day and then we'll have practice in the afternoon and that'll be pretty much every day all the way until December. Hours wise, I've never even don't even know. It's a lot. Yeah, it's significant. And yeah. it, I don't think kind of like you had said before with the volunteering non-paid interns, people don't realize how much time strength and conditioning coaches put in for collegiate athletics. And they're, it, it's often the afterthought of an athletic program. And a lot of times, you know, like I, I had strength coaches I've known over the years, if, if football was winning, the strength coach was awesome. And, uh, but didn't get credit for the wins. The head football coach did. If the program's losing head football coach points the finger at strength conditioning says my yeah. athletes weren't ready. I got too many athletes on crutches. It's your fault. You know, the cool, the really cool thing is now that that really is flipping and switching. And there is, there are, coaches acknowledge that they do spend the most time with us and this is an extremely important hire you know to set the to set the tone for the culture but also to make sure programming is right and they get what they need from a performance standpoint you know and and you know that there's million dollar strength coaches now really like you know there's 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 coaches you know in the power five level they're getting paid a million dollars you know and then and this which is great for our profession you know it's that it's that it's growing from a respect standpoint that way too with how much time we put in with the players and uh that's an important element of it and I, this is my recruiting spiel when these kids come i was like listen you guys spend a lot of time with with your recruiting coaches and that's great and you'll have a meeting with the head coach and that's great i want you guys to feel good about those relationships but when you're standing down here in the, in, in this presentation that i'm giving right now um, this is the person that's gonna that you're gonna that's gonna have the most immediate impact on you right away because this is the person that you're gonna work with right away, and this is the person you're gonna spend the most time with over the course of your career. So, make the decision on the place that's best for you. But parents and athletes, ask the strength coach questions, look at them in the eye, and make sure that you believe that they are telling the truth and trust your instincts. And and you know this is a relationship that's extremely important. And if I'm not that person for you, go somewhere where you really think that that person. How much, how is much of that perspective comes from you, not only having been an athlete, but having been an athlete back to that small town, one of two kids to go to a, a D1 full ride football program for college. But then in your case, not only were you the athlete, but you moved from one program to another. How much of that perspective and insight comes from that? I I think. I think a little bit just because of my experience and understanding how much, how much of a role that the, the, from a mentality standpoint and from a 
obviously a physical tool standpoint, how important a weight room is. And I learned that at a young age because I, I would, I wasn't blessed God given ability. Like my, like for instance, my brother was, you know, I, I worked myself into a big 10 scholarship. And a big part of that was the weight room in high school. And let's pull that in. So you, you, you said it to me or you told it to me and that's where I got it and stole it. Hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work. What was the saying? Well, like that. Yeah. What did you say? How did you say it? That's it. Hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work. Yeah. I mean, cause when talent doesn't work hard. Yeah. I mean, hard work, like I had talent and I had ability and I had God given size and things like that, that you can't train. So did a lot of other kids from big urban sure. markets. So sure. Right? Sure. It's just, it was just something that I, I don't know why I loved it. I started seeing results from it and I just fell in love. Like I just fell in love with it. And I fell in love with the work and I fell in love with people telling me that I can't, you know, <laughs> and I just, just all those things that I just, I, I almost like the asshole in me just couldn't, I just, I needed it, you know, and it just thrived on it. Um, but you know, a, a kid across town getting a big 12 scholarship from the in-state school drove me crazy, you know, and, and just elevated my, you know, just elevated my work even more. And just, I was always, but you know, that's what, that's to, to get back to what, where I mentioned it is because that, that, that's where I developed that relationship with that room. And I think that I always had a perspective on it where I knew that that was an important position. But obviously now it's my livelihood. It's how I keep my lights on in my house. So it's, I want to create value for the profession and value for the position, but this goes back to me being genuine again, right? I'm not going to tell kids stuff that's not true. I feel that way. I think that from a culture standpoint, from a performance standpoint, you need to feel really comfortable with the strength coach. And that needs to be a important decision. You know, that needs to be, high up on the list for where you end up choosing to go. And these are things, every time I talk to a former collegiate athlete, uh, one, the many times the athletes that had an opportunity to play in college, they were, they were gifted. They had work ethic, but along with that, I learned that they were doing these other things. Like they had this motivation kid across town got, a ride to an in-state school, I can beat that. Somebody told me I can't, well, watch. I'm going to go into the weight room and I'm going to make up for whatever deficiency they believe I had that led to them say, I can't, and yeah. I'm going to prove them wrong. Or um, weight room's locked. I'm going to throw my little brother through the window in the morning because I've done that. So, so in, and he let you in, right? Yeah, we got his, we got his little ass through the, through the window. It was one of those old school windows that you could pop open and we threw them in in the morning at like six 30 in the morning. But I got up, I got up uh, three times a week in high school and lifted at lifted before school. And those are, you know, that, and I think that that ties into that foundation. That's why you, you have the job that you do today. That's why, again, it is the path you take, right? Well, it's, it's athletics. And as a, a professional coach told me when I asked him, I'm like, well, what, what makes you a good coach? 
He said, it's easy. It's wins and losses. In, in your case, if there weren't more W's than, than L's, then your approach is wrong, but it's producing. Yeah. So you're doing things right. But I think it comes from that. Well, I worked out three mornings a week, but you could have slept in. You have slept in. Your friends did. Yeah, my friends did. But my friends, are, my friends, a lot of, uh, you know, my friends still talk about the fact that I, they feel like I'm where I'm at because of stuff like that. And, you know, and I don't, I never felt like it was something that was that that I, that I was battling to do every day. I, I wanted to. Um, so Which, that just built, I'm just, I think just a little different upstairs. Uh, no, I, I don't, I, I don't think it's a little different upstairs. I, it goes back to what I said before. If you look at most people in this country that get up and go to work and by the way, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that except most people go to work and do a job they don't like. They're not passionate about it. They don't love it. And as a result, they don't want to do the extra. They're not doing what they should be doing, which is why they shun the extra. You have a young athlete that you knew what you wanted to do. You you told me what you wanted to do. When The first time I met you, and you may not remember this, but you said, I still want to play football. And it, it was, that was just the way it was going to be. So whatever you needed to do to play football, you were going to do. And most people aren't doing what they're meant to be. And that's why back then when your friends weren't getting up in the morning, playing football wasn't that important to them. They might have said they wanted to go to U of I like you, but they they really didn't. Or they would have been excited to get up and do the work. Well, my brother wasn't excited to get up, but I made him get up and go with me. So I instilled that in him. So. He tells stories like that all the time. He likes telling he likes telling those. But, but it's I mean it's it's true, and that's when you look at successful people. Successful people, it, it, coaching is is leadership. You know, successful coach is no different than a successful CEO or or president or vice president. The people that are successful tend to enjoy what they're doing. They're passionate about it. And the craziest thing about it is this they don't mind doing the extra work. They don't care if they do some work on the weekend. They're not disgruntled about, damn it, I got to do this work and it's the weekend. They're happy to do the work because they they realize the work is the path to success. Yeah. And I that's, agree. I think that's, you know, most people that's lost on. That's where you get to, oh, it must be nice to get to go do this. Well, you could do this. You might be better at it than I am. You just don't want to yeah. do the work. You haven't seen, or, you know, I like the iceberg. I like the iceberg uh, picture every year when the draft comes around um, because, you know, the media portrays, the, the media likes to make this huge, you know, huge deal about, you know, them walking up on the stage and getting their award and talking about where they're going. And, and it's awesome. But you know, the amount of work that those kids have put in to put themselves in, in those situations is, is stuff that nobody sees you know, that, that they're not focused, that the media is not focused on. Like, so they, all these, all these college kids think that those guys were just in the right situations. And, and they just, you know, just cause they were at Alabama is the reason they got drafted. Number one, no, they made a lot, they made a lot of, they, they went through a lot of pain and a lot of sacrifice to put themselves in a situation like that. Um, and there's a lot of work that gets involved and you don't, you just get to see the tip of the iceberg sticking out of the water underneath it underneath the surface and that goes back to when i talk to athletes like you 
like I asked Chandler about this one time and he told me at that point in time, he was like, I'm like, how'd you end up playing college football? And he's like, well, you know, I was this or that. I'm like, well, what else did you do? He's like, well, every weekend I made VHS tapes of my highlight stuff. And I wrote like an essay and I would mail them out to colleges all over the country. Well, did he play college football because he was that good? Well, yeah, sure. There's probably part of that, but there are probably other kids just as good at playing quarterback in football may have been even better, but they weren't copying like dubbing VHS tapes and then writing a letter or essay or whatever, and then sending them to colleges all over the country. That just shows our age because that's what we used to have to do. Yeah, but not everybody did though. But that's the thing though. Not everybody did. Yeah. But the kids that went somewhere did, you know, that's like camps and showcases. That's the kids that spent their summer doing that stuff got seen. And that's, that's what I had to do as a small town kid. I had to get my, get myself out there. So uh, So, it was was interesting. Go ahead. It was interesting process. It was cool because, you know, I went to a camp and I went to Illinois camp. Um, cause I, you know, I was getting very lightly recruited by them, just more, more size, more size stuff. You know, cause I was a multi-year all-state player and it was before my senior year. And, um, I go to Illinois camp and get registered and everything. And they had put me in the number one group, which when you're in the number one group, that means that you're with all the best prospects from all over the country in the number one group. And as soon as my dad, I'll never forget my dad's face. My dad, when we registered because coach Mac, the recruiting coach at Illinois came and told my dad, we got him in group one. Like, here's it. Like, I'll never forget the look on his face. Cause he was like, Oh, like, Oh shit. Like, I don't know. Like almost kind of like, I don't know if he's that good. You know what I mean? And, and that was okay with me at that point, because I was like, you know, shit, I don't know either. We're going to find out. We're going to find out. And had a great camp, put a lot of people on their back that I shouldn't have. And, and the rest is, the rest is that, you know, and, and I just went and was coachable and was able to do what I needed to do. And it was a great moment for me to, of clarification to know that I belonged and the knew, knew that the work kind of came to a point where I was like, all right, like I'm going to play college football, you know? So that was when you realized like you, you had the toolbox and yeah. you, you, you were going to be able to do it. Yeah. Because up until that point, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm going up against a bunch of kids and I'm just burying them at the level of football that I played in, yeah. in Missouri is, you know, not super high level football, but my tape fish, all, small pond. Yeah. My tape's going to look great. My tape's going to look good, but you put me up against some old linemen that are getting recruited from all over the place. And I, use the technique that the coaches are teaching me and I put people on their backs and I run around them and, you know, create buzz for myself and that camp and me playing the crosstown kid. And, and, uh, I put this nicely whoop his kick his butt. Um, that was a big reason why I ended up at Illinois. 22 years later, you still have the rivalry. You think he knows that? Uh, I, I think he doesn't care. He didn't last for, he didn't last very long. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. 
Well, cool, man. I think that's enough content. I stole enough of your time. It was great chatting. This podcast is brought to you by smallbusinesstogrow.com, the website by entrepreneurs for entrepreneurs. Why reinvent the wheel? Start growing your business with best practices from industry-leading small business owners, executives, and entrepreneurs. Take their wheel, put it to work in your business, and start growing today. Smallbusinesstogrow.com to learn more.